Hello, hello, hello. What's going on, my friends? Welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, Glenn Siepert. I'm your host, and this is episode number 179, and it's part number 13 of our series, Instant Replay, where we're looking back at some of your favorite episodes and uh, my favorite episodes. And I just had a funny thing happen. I was recording the intro like three minutes ago, and uh, then I stopped because I heard this I'm the only one home. My office is like right next to the laundry room. I heard this weird like noise of running water that was louder than I've like I felt like it should be. Whenever you hear like running water in your house, unless somebody else is home with the sink or the shower on, probably not good. But thankfully, it was just the hot water heater making a weirdly loud noise as it was filling filling it up, I guess. I don't know. Everything's fine. There's no water. And I have like I have uh, flashbacks because of my old house that we used to live in. Uh, we had our hot water heater downstairs, and the bottom—I don't know if it rusted out or something—but it, it, there was water everywhere. <laughs> it just was not good, <laughs> not good at all. And so I have these like horrible flashbacks. Never here running water. Like oh goodness, this is yeah. We gotta find it. Where's it coming from? So anyway, everything's fine. Crisis averted. Welcome to the show. Uh, this is episode number 179, uh, part number 13 of our series, uh, like I already said. And uh, today we're talking to my friend Colby Martin. Colby Martin uh, is a pastor out in San Diego. And I uh, wrote some books. Uh, he wrote Unclobber, which is about the clobber verses in the Bible that are used to uh, outcast and shame LGBTQ people. So he wrote a book about that. Wrote a book called The Shift, and that's what we talk about in this episode, uh, which is really a, a look at progressive Christianity. And uh, it, it get that that word, that phrase, and that phrase takes some heat <laughs> lately. Have you noticed that? Uh, if you just look up progressive Christianity on Google, you're gonna find all sorts of things. Because uh, it's like it's like this like I don't know. It's like this this like this phrase that shall not be named kind of thing like in the in the more conservative world like it's this fake christianity it's not real and colby takes us deep into it helps us talk about and understand the the shift that happens when somebody moves from conservative thinking to more progressive thinking and the book is really well done uh, colby is a friend of mine uh, after our first episode that we did we stayed in touch we discovered that we had a shared uh, background or shared experience in our background. And so we uh, stayed in touch. He's become a friend of mine, uh, somebody whose voice I have really come to value in the world, but also his voice uh, in my own life as well. It's always a pleasure to catch up with him and and chat. So uh, buckle up. We're going to have we're going to have some some fun in the show notes today, Patreon and uh, buy me a coffee if you want to support the show financially if this has encouraged you. Uh, inspired you, pushed you forward in your faith. That's the place where you can go to support the show. And uh, this is what I do for my job. Um, I quit my job of 11 years to do to do this, <laughs> to turn on the mic, to stumble over my words, to have conversations with people, to record videos, vlog episodes, write blog posts, working on a book. This is what I do. My wife has a job at a salon uh, when she comes home. Uh, I'm with my daughter in the morning when she comes home. Uh, she takes over. We kind of switch. I do this work in the afternoon. Uh, we tag team dinner time. It's a team effort here 
at the secret house and uh, we're having a blast. And so if you want to support us, support the show, uh, the money helps buy groceries, keep literally keep the lights on, <laughs> all the different things. Uh, Patreon and Buy Me a Coffee are two places you can go to do to do that. Special music today is from my friend Forrest Clay. He just released a brand new album, and it's so, so good. Uh, he's been on the show before. He's he's also a friend of mine, and uh, the album's called Recover, and it's so good. Uh, it's really about his journey of deconstruction, reconstruction, rethinking his life, his faith, the evolution of his understanding of God, so many good things. Like if you are in that place where you're just got all sorts of questions, uh, this album will not answer any of your questions, but it will help you put words on all the things that you're feeling. It is so well done. So I'm going to play a couple songs for you in this episode. Head over to Spotify, Apple Music, and uh, download it, pass it along to your friends, and uh, do all of the things. So Anyway, my friends, that's all I got. With that said, this is episode number 179 uh, with the man, the myth, the legend, the goat. If I had to choose somebody to be my pastor, it would be Kobe Martin. Enjoy. Oh, church, when did we lose our way? When did the size of Uh, friends, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today we are joined by repeat guest and uh, by far, I think the coolest pastor I know, uh, the one and the only, uh, the man with the best beard, Colby Martin. Okay, welcome Glenn, back to the podcast. <laughs> you, must not, you must not know very many pastors, right? Oh, come on, I mean, come on. This is, that is kind of you to say. Yeah. <laughs> so for our listeners, uh, Colby has recently released a brand new book that I have in front of me uh, called The Shift and it's subtitled uh, surviving and thriving after moving from conservative to progressive Christianity. But first, I'm curious, uh, how has the launch been? I mean, as of this recording, it launched yesterday. And last night you had that wild star-studded extravaganza on Facebook <laughs> Live. So Brian McLaren and many others uh, showed up. So first of all, how was that? Like, how did that feel for you? And then like, what has the response been today on day two? Yeah, you're getting me in sort of the the afterglow all day. I've just been smiling, um, mm-hmm. delighting in how fun last night was. Uh, yeah, so if someone is listening to this and they have some time to kill because a lot of us right now might have more time to watch things, uh, yeah, head on over to my YouTube or uh, Facebook page and, and check out the, uh, as Glenn called this, uh, book release live stream extravaganza. Yes. Uh, yes yesterday was uh, was the launch of uh, my next book, as you just said. And last night, you know, I thought because originally, Glenn, I had a multi city tour lined mm. up. Uh, I had 
I was going to have a big party here in San Diego on Friday, April 24th at a local brewery, inviting a bunch of friends, buying a beer and appetizers and just doing this big in-person. So I had all these plans, right? Mm. And then, you know, coronavirus comes and um, suddenly Mother Necessity invited us to birth all sorts of new inventions. And I thought, well, what can I still do that celebrates the book launch mm. um, that I would enjoy? Maybe that other people haven't done yet. I mean, that's my kind of, I'm a yeah. strong Enneagram three and I've got a four <laughs> wing that likes to be unique and different. So part of me was like, all right, let's, let's do something that people haven't done. Let's get wild. And, uh, yeah. yeah. And so I came up with this idea to have this uh, live event on Facebook where I would have guests scheduled all throughout the night to, to come on. Um, authors uh, like Glennon Doyle, Brian McLaren, Kristen Howerton, uh, podcast personalities like Kevin Garcia and Heathen Podcast. And then I had some musicians hop on for some live music. I was doing Your giveaways <laughs> all night long. Yeah, my brother was yeah. one of them who's phenomenal. Uh, so it really, man, it was just, it was so much fun. And the only thing I was worried about is that the technology wouldn't hold. I was going to ask, did you like rehearse? Did you like check everything? Like how did you... I sure spent, that all that was going to work. <laughs> yeah, I spent a solid two weeks leading up to the event trying to find the right wow. combination of um, online platforms and software uh, so that, and, and it was just, it was, <laughs> that was the most work, honestly, was yeah. all the research and all the failed attempts of trying to get <laughs> things to work. But finally, uh, I stumbled into the right platform and was able to build all the graphics and all the scenes and it integrated beautifully with Skype uh, video. So it just, and the technology held, man. So I was able to have just a blast interacting with the hundreds of people that were on and commenting and it was, yeah. So to answer your question, I'm doing great. I'm a little tired, but it's like a good tired. It's a, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's just a That's glow awesome. from a really, really fun night. I think my favorite part was when Brian McLaren was on and your wife was like nerding out in the background. <laughs> <laughs> she was like waving. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, good for you, man. I'm very happy for you. Um, the book felt uh, very personal to me. Like your other book, Unclobber, you know, also very personal. But this book really felt like you just kind of spilled your guts right on page one, like really just came out with your story. And before we kind of go into that, um, could you give us a brief, maybe synopsis of what this book is about? Why did you write it? Who is it for? What exactly is um, a shift? We are witnessing right now, and when I say we, I'm mostly speaking to kind of this Western American Christian culture. Mm. We are... I mean we're different than everybody else? <laughs> I, I mean, we're just, we're <laughs> our own species. We uh, we're in our own, our sort of own pocket of, of time. Yep. Um, and it's the we that I know best. So mm -hmm. that's, um, I just want to clarify that. Um, but we are witnessing and have been for several years now, this, this, uh, this mass exodus away from, for lack of a better term, conservative Christianity or evangelical Christianity, yeah. this mass exodus out of that. And, you know, some people end up just finding themselves in camps of uh, agnosticism or the spiritual nuns. And they're just sort of, nowhere but mm. there are there are many who are leaving conservative christianity or maybe have been kicked out of their conservative churches or communities or families and are still finding themselves on some sort of faith spiritual journey that might have some connection still to the tradition and the heritage of christianity but it is much more 
Now, the term I use is progressive. Um, people might resonate with the term liberal or left or open or inclusive, whatever. It's, it's a journey away from conservative and towards a more progressive expression of the Christianity. Mm. And what I have, and I have over the last six years in my, in my ministry with church and with uh, my first book, and um, I have engaged now with hundreds, if not thousands of people who have undergone, and I call this the shift. The shift mm. is moving away from conservative and journeying towards progressive Christianity. It is remarkable to me, Glenn, how um, how common uh, the experiences are for people who are on the shift. Like mm. every person's stories and their details are all uh, unique and specific. I don't want to take away from that, but the similarities that show up, the yeah. uh, the, the the fear of of no longer having the certainty that used to bring so much comfort, the um, the resentment of feeling like you were burdened with all these beliefs that you didn't ask to have implanted into your brain, mm. uh, the the anger of 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 people who are now treating you differently because what your beliefs changed, um, mm. the loneliness. Uh, just the mass loneliness right now is uh, is no small matter. Yeah. Uh, people who no longer have faith communities or, or or friend groups or even families for many people, it's so lonely. So I started noticing all these uh, uh, shared experiences, and I thought, you know what? If if there's any way that I can step into that space, that transition space, that liminal space between conservative and progressive Christianity, if there's any way that I can get into there and help people kind of survive some of those obstacles mm. and maybe offer just these morsels of glimpses of, of ways that they might even then move to thrive in that process. Um, that's what, I, that's what the book's about, man. Mm. That's what it's about right there. It's just trying to help people survive the obstacles in their shift and thrive in sort of this uh, more open and expansive uh, and gracious uh, way of being in the world. Mm. I think that's part of the reason why it felt so personal for me is because when I was reading it, it was almost like it's Colby following me around, like to see, see like living <laughs> in my brain, like, like throwing answers to the questions that I have, because really each chapter takes a different part of this journey and really just speaks to it, I think, in a really encouraging way. So uh, for our listeners, I will put it in the show notes and uh, Colby will put like subliminal messages throughout the podcast to get people to just go and buy it. Well, well they've already been happening. That's right. They're already happening. I don't even know it, but they're already happening. <laughs> so uh, maybe let's get into some of the specifics um, of the book. We don't want to give away all of the pearls of wisdom, of course, but um, I wanted to ask you a, a few questions that I had while I was reading. And the first thing is I wanted to know a little bit more about that experience you describe, like starting on page one, uh, you're at that annual men's retreat. Uh, one of the speakers said something that perhaps you know pulled out that bottom block of the tower, started to shift a little bit and started to rethink things like maybe talk to us about about that moment like take us back to that beginning of your deconstruction your shift like what was going on in your mind how did it feel uh, what was the wrestling like for you yeah so the earliest memory that i have of when i started to discern that, that the clothes of conservative christianity were not fitting anymore <laughs> The earliest memory that I have was, and you talk, and this is how, like you said, I opened the book, was that day a men's camp at the church that I was working at. It was a large um, evangelical mega church, uh, and I was at this men's retreat. And Was this I the CMA church we talked about on the last time? This was the CMA yes. church. Okay. Good, okay. good callback, Glenn. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> there you go. You're on your game. <laughs> 
I don't know what the speaker said that night. It probably had nothing to do with what happened in my own heart later, but whatever it was, I was lying in bed, unable to sleep. And the thought that kept running through my head that night was, and it felt so random to me and yet I couldn't get it out of my brain. It was just rattling around in there was this idea of why do we, and for me at that time, we was Christians. That's just, I had mm-hmm. one understanding of, of what it meant to be a Christian. Why do we, insist that the mercy of God suddenly ceases upon the moment of our death. Yeah. Why do we insist? And, and, and I started thinking about the Bible verses, like the, the love and the mercy of God and, you know, endures forever is it's un, this unchanging mercy of God. And yet we, we we teach that actually no you can you can experience god's mercy before you die but then after you die mm. like whatever decision you have made whether you get to go to heaven or you get to go to hell that is locked in there's no mercy for you at that point you can't mm. change your mind you don't get a second chance you don't get some sort of like oh you know what actually your life on earth you never had a freaking chance to figure out yeah, right. what any sort of <laughs> correct answer was uh, you were born in some country that had no concept of this or you were born in such a uh, a traumatic and abusive situation that you had no hope of the, whatever it was. Now this is, you know, back in my conservative theological days, <laughs> so this is what I was thinking, but I'm like, how, why are we in, where does this come from? This idea that God is no longer merciful just because we die. Yeah. We don't get to have any control over when we die. We don't yeah. get to have any control over what happens when we live in terms of where we're born or who we're born to or what we believe growing up. And yet we die and that's the end of mercy. So that was the thought that I just mm-hmm. couldn't get out of my head. Um, and, and I just, that was the, yeah, you talked about, that was like the first Jenga piece and I wouldn't even say it was at the bottom yet. I wasn't, I wasn't near the bottom. I was just sure. kind of in the middle, just sort of tapping on the loose. Suddenly this brick was really loose and you know how you just kind of tap it from one end, yep. hoping to jostle <laughs> it enough to grab it from the other. That night I was just tapping this brick of, of, of my belief structure, my system of the things that I thought were true. And suddenly I couldn't convince myself that God's mercy has a stopping point just because the blood stops flowing in our veins and the breath stops pumping in our lungs. Yeah. I, that resonates with me because I've told this story in the podcast a bunch of times, but for me, um, it was Rob Bell's book, Love Wins, that really started to pick at some of those bricks in my own tower. And yeah. uh, one of the questions that I came in with that book was, we get to heaven and we don't believe the right things about God. It's almost like we're God's enemy. And so we go to hell and I'm like, but wait a minute, like Jesus spent his whole life telling people to forgive, to love their enemies. And then I get to heaven and the same God who has told me to do this. No soup for you. What (laughs) what is it? That doesn't make any sense to me. Like for all of my life, it made sense. But then all of a sudden it was that question popped into my mind and I'm like, there's no answer for this. It literally yeah. doesn't work. Yeah. And isn't it wild how sometimes those things will just they'll burrow in your brain in a way yeah. that suddenly like- I couldn't let it go. I couldn't let it go. And you're like, how could I have never thought of this before? And for me, and, and I say this at one point in the book later on in one of the later chapters, I say those moments of that sort of radical um, brick knocking, faith altering, belief shifting moments, they- seem to come almost from out of nowhere and we generally don't have much to do like now granted you made the choice to read a book so maybe you can you can contribute you can attribute some of that to your will your choices but my point is is a lot of us who've gone through the shift 
it's almost like a thing that just happened to us more than a conscious decision that we sat down one day and we're like, all right, I need to assess where I'm at with all my beliefs and right. I'm going to begin now. <laughs> right. And if this leads to some sort of transformative shift, so be it. But I'm just like, nobody really does that. These things just happen. They happen to us and in us and through us. And I think one of the beautiful things about that for me is for me, that's an act of grace, this sort of undeserved favor, sort of this expanding of our hearts and minds that we really don't have any, um, we didn't contribute to, it just sort of happened. And when we can receive that as, as grace, as gift of like, whoa, mm-hmm. I am where I am today, almost through like, no thanks to me, I just sort of, sort of here, that sort of openness to our own growth, yeah. I think can, and maybe I'll even say ought, lead us to a posture of, 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 of orienting ourselves towards others with this immense posture of grace being like, hey, suddenly I don't want to try to control you or control what you believe or control what you think. And even if it's wildly different from me, I can't really expect you to change just because I want you to change because my change happened just in me and through yeah. me. I didn't really have much to do with it. You, do you know what I'm saying? Does that make, does that 100%. make sense? Uh, yeah. And I think one of the thing I think, I think it was Rob Bell or maybe it was Richard Rohr. One of those guys said, you know, one of the ways that you can look at somebody who's maybe um, not where you are in your faith, maybe they're on the more conservative side, you're on the, on the progressive side is to look at that person and see yourself in that person. And right. when you can have enough grace on yourself to realize where you used to be, you can then translate that to have grace on that person to where yeah. they are. And maybe one day they will be where you are. Maybe they sure. won't be, but sure. there's hope for, the, for, for them to keep evolving in their faith, whatever direction that might lead them. Yeah. And it's not, it's just, it's not our, our responsibility to, yeah. to, to change other people's beliefs. Now that's not yeah. to say that we, we, there aren't still, you know, there are beliefs that people hold that can and do lead to very troublesome, um, real life consequences in the world. Yeah, yeah. And so when those beliefs are, are at play, uh, I think we do have some sort of responsibility to engage with that. 100%. But I think that, I think there's, there's a, there's a difference there between engaging with beliefs that cause sort of injustice and harm to the world um, versus trying to force someone else to, to think and believe what we want them to think and believe. Yeah. Like I never see the prophets in the Bible trying to force people to believe something, but you better bet your bottom dollar. They spoke out against things that were unjust, yeah. things that were yeah. wrong, things that were evil causing pain in the world. So one of the things that you uh, talk about in the book is how uh, your shift has impacted the way you think about and you talk about God. And uh, one of the things you say, and for our listeners, I'm going to read this quote uh, is not using pronouns for God has been a commitment of mine since 2012 um, I realize it sounds weird to anniversarize uh, when I stopped referring to God as he, but I share that because it illustrates the process of journeying toward a more progressive form of Christianity. So talk to us a little bit about this because last year, and our listeners might remember this, but I did, I did a solo podcast episode uh, where I just sat down with my mic and did this like little, you know, homily slash sermon type thing. And I, I talked about this and it was a series called uh, Lies We Believe About God. And the lie I was addressing was that God is a man. And so you can imagine that caused like no controversy at all. You know, <laughs> it was very easy. But dude, I mean, you would have thought, like I suggested that we 
should convert our churches into temples of Satan because like people got really upset. I mean, some people were sending me, you know, messages and stuff. And I was like, wow, I wasn't expecting this huge, you know, this huge thing to blow up, but wow. talk to me about, you know, this part of your journey. Like, what does that look like for you? Maybe some of your thoughts around, you know, why God isn't a straight white dude, because literally that's how I grew up thinking about God, that he's this straight man. He might or may not have a beard and he's definitely a white guy and he's up in heaven and he's in this big seat. And like now, obviously all of that has changed for me, but what does that look like for you? I think where I'd start in response to that is by acknowledging that there is, there's a lot at stake mm. for uh, those for whom a statement such as God is not male or those who maybe took issue or really had a hard time with your, your series that you referenced. There's a lot at stake for them in yeah. that. Uh, and I, and I have a lot of compassion for that. Mm. I understand, like, I understand, um, because I, I was there for a good portion of my life. Like there's a, there's a lot at stake and it's not, it's not so much that people are, you know, at least I found they're not arguing for and defending that God is man or God is a man. Like, so that there's somewhere there is a physical being that has some sort of like divine genitalia it's not so much like i know you said that you sort of grew up thinking that and i know that in my own way i did too but at some yeah. point we did i think grow up enough to be like okay those were just early metaphors we may not actually think god has a body and, and a male genitalia out there but mm. we still sort of we still sort of think that way but we don't it's this right. weird we kind of hold the metaphor a little too uh tightly sure so it's not the people I think are mostly arguing that God is man, but what's at stake for them is um, or one of the biggest things at stake is, is, uh, is the way that they view the Bible. And mm -hmm. so because the Bible refers not exclusively, right? There are, there are more than, more than enough uh, references in the Bible to God as uh, feminine, but predominantly God is referred to as he and father. And so because the Western conservative evangelical um, Christian teaching is that the entire Bible is without error and that if just one part of it is wrong, then that must mean the whole thing is wrong. Then what's at stake is to, if you acknowledge that God is either not male or more than male, then it begins to mess with your entire understanding of the Bible. And so that's, that's a serious um, stake. Yeah. And so it's understandable to me that people react and, and sort of gets uh, fearful around that. Mm -hmm. um, but I, but I think that's just one level. I think another level is that we have sort of as a society deeply embedded these ideas that maleness is closer to godness. Godness is closer to maleness. And, and suddenly there's a, a hierarchy where maleness is better than femaleness. And again, all but the most ardent sort of misogynist a-holes, you know, they're not going to say outright that men are better than women. And yet this is sort of how we operate and think at sort of these pre-conscious subconscious levels. And so we, in our minds, if God is male, then to be male is to be God. Therefore, femininity is less than like we want to move in the direction of whatever godliness is, which happens to, you know, in this construct be more male oriented. And this for me, as I say in the book, this was part of why I was a, a progressively minded Christian in a lot of ways for a number of years before I finally was able to transition out of thinking of just God in terms of male. Um, because I had my own, and this was just my journey. I had my own 
deeply uh, repressed sort of misogyny and belief that maleness is better than femaleness mm-hmm. in part because that was the culture that I was raised in. It's the society that I was raised in. I got that in the church world. I got that in TV. I got that in movies and music. And so I had to confront all of that and get all of that up to the surface to where I could then begin to, to relax and let go of this. Oh yeah. God's not a man. Mm. God's not a man. So that was a, a, a quite a journey for me. Um, but I do, I empathize with those for whom that is a very threatening um, idea uh, because yeah. yeah, lots at stake. And I love the way you, you gracefully kind of answered that because I think is, is an important lesson I think for all of us to learn who are in the midst of this shift is that, you know, we, we've spent some time processing some of this stuff and sometimes it can be very easy to throw out our conclusions without throwing out some, without also talking about some of the, the background to the conclusions that we've come to. Yeah. I think for myself, like, especially I look back on that, I was more like a bull in a china shop, you know, kind of coming through with my conclusion that I've drawn after really years and years of thinking about this. And I didn't really necessarily address the underbelly of it as well as I addressed the conclusion. Mm. And I think had I kind of, if I could go back now, I think I would have addressed those other things that you talked about, about, you know, when we attack this idea, it's almost like we're attacking this spider web of other things as well that we need to address in order to come to this conclusion. So I think that it's important for all of us who are going through this shift when we talk to our family and we talk to our friends to recognize that, you know, the, the anger maybe that comes with some of these conclusions is also coming from other places that we need to be mindful of. That's right. That's really good. So let's talk about the Bible. Uh, That's one of the things you just, you just mentioned. Um, How has reading the Bible changed for you um, in the midst of your, your shift. I know for me, like I used to see it as the inerrant word of God. You talk about that yep. in your book, you know, it's 100% yep. accurate, literal, you know, that burlap to cashmere song, you know, basic instructions before <laughs> leaving earth, right? Like it's, oh, that's what that's it's all point. about. And, uh, you know, I'm saddened to say like looking back over my life, like that mentality is as close as the Bible was to my heart and still is. Um, it often caused me to weaponize the Bible, right? Because like when I had this view that the Bible made it you know, made everything very clear. It was very easy for me to like load those verses into my machine gun and shoot them at people in an effort to prove myself right and kind of flex my muscle of certainty, like you mentioned earlier. And so maybe talk to us a little bit about um, your journey with the Bible. How has it evolved? How has it, how has it changed? Yeah, I think my journey is, is not altogether uh, unique. I think it's, it's a, there's a fairly predictable, um, pattern that emerges with this um i would say the only thing i might add to that is that's that uh it's not uncommon to maybe stall out hmm. at, a, at a few spots along the way so here's what i mean so yes like like yourself um i had the, the same sort of impression of the bible given to me all throughout growing up and into college and into ministry inspired inerrant and uh, when I began to, you know, knock out some of those Jenga pieces, uh, suddenly, you know, I, I, I was confronted with how the Bible is actually full of internal contradictions mm. that, um, you know, stories just give two, three, four different accounts of what happened. And even though I had been trained in college on all the ways to synthesize that, uh, there comes a point where you're like, okay, hold on, <laughs> hold right. on. We are, this is some real, 
this is some real magic artistry uh hocus pocus stuff we're doing here to make <laughs> to make one and two equal the same number uh, yeah. was there one angel or two come yeah. on people um so so going through that process of starting to realize the Bible is self-contradictory and the mm-hmm. Bible contradicts uh, external things that we know that are true about science. Uh, suddenly um, it just doesn't hold up to scrutiny outside of this closed way of seeing the Bible as the only source of truth. Uh, and so, you know, predictably I, I moved into this sort of resentful, um, annoyed with, um, really I reacted in a way that I was taught to react, which was mm-hmm. if you can't trust one part, you can't trust any of it. Yeah. And so I had to go through this season where I, I didn't really crack open a Bible for a long time. Mm-hmm. And this is meanwhile, I'm in ministry as a pastor, uh, just really had to walk away from it. Be mm-hmm. like, all right, well, you, you're just farcical. Is it farcical or farcical? I think uh, farcical. I think that's okay. the word. Well, I like farcical say, better. That's I like farcical too. It's kind of uh, <laughs> it, it's uh, hey man, if you need a word, you make it up. So I needed that one. Um, except for there was a word and I just said it wrong. But anyways, uh, so I had to go through that process of kind of, and I think that's where a lot of people in their shift they find themselves, um, sort of this resentful uh, attitude, but not even actually that's not even totally fair. A lot of it is people have been uh, uh, really wounded by the Bible, like you said, has been weaponized against them to either, you know, if you're a woman, it's been used to tell you that you're inferior to men. If you're LGBTQ, it's been used to tell you that you're an abomination. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if you are a non-Christian, it's been used to tell you that you're going to hell. So the Bible has been a source of all sorts of uh, harm and it makes a whole lot of sense. If you're able to walk away from it or given a road away, you're going to take it because yeah. why would you want to stick around to that thing? Um, but I, and maybe this is just sort of a nature of the fact that I've been in full-time ministry now for 14 years or whatever. I didn't really ever have the luxury to totally abandon the Bible, mm. or at least I didn't take the option to. And so I slowly started to work my way back toward it. And what I discovered is if you can, and again, this might take some time for people, but if you can set it aside all of those messages that have been sort of uh, crammed into your consciousness about what the Bible is and isn't, if you can set it, if you can relax a bit, that the Bible doesn't have to be inerrant. Mm. The Bible doesn't have to be infallible. If you can relax that the Bible doesn't have to be perfect, that it doesn't have to, um, if you can relax on that and maybe just take it for what it is, not for what people have, told you that it is then suddenly all sorts of new possibilities emerge and you can begin to uh, sift through the stuff in the bible that really just doesn't have anything to do with you or doesn't work or is too triggering or um, is completely irrelevant and you can find all these gems and all this source of inspiration and you really can find stories because for me the the bible if nothing else it is a collection of the struggle of men and women for um, hundreds and thousands of years of, of searching after questions like, who are we? Why are we mm. here? Are there, are there gods? If there are gods, is there one God that's better than all the other gods? If there's just yeah. one God, who is this God? If there is just one God, then what, how might this God want us to live? How, might this, how do we live in relationship to each other, in relationship mm. to the earth? This is like the track record of how men and women for centuries and millennia have been, have been stumbling into these uh, deep, deep, 
deep truths that have, and, and somehow this book is still here. Like, this is amazing to me right. that it has lasted all these years and I get yeah. it. It's also caused wars and it's been the justification for discrimination. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's n- like, there's no world in which we deny that or ignore that. Uh, but the fact that it has also transcended all that tells me that there are some sort of deep layers of truth happening that if we want them to can still incredibly inspire and empower and equip and encourage people uh, to, to find wholeness and to find uh, flourishing and to learn about the divine in themselves and each other. Uh, so for me, I, I still see it today as this sort of inspired collection of um, poetry and songs and stories and letters uh, that really can help humans find more connection with themselves, with each other, and with the divine. Yeah, and I think as you as you look through the Bible and you read the different stories, you really see like an evolution of thinking in terms of totally who, who God yeah. is, how God acts in the world, what does God expect of people, how does God move through different cultures with different types of people like you just see that growing like the earlier old testament through the prophets obviously you know jesus comes along and it's just i think if we can look at the bible like that we can allow ourselves to enter into that story all of a sudden we have a freedom to also allow our understanding of god to evolve along with these biblical writers um, as we move into these times that we're in and beyond and i think that's just such a beautiful way to think about the text as opposed to just this static document that needs to stay exactly the way that it is. That's right. We were, uh, and again, by we Western American Christianity, especially the evangelical flavor, we were taught that the most important thing is to have the correct beliefs. We were taught that what God cares about most are the thoughts that are in between our ears. Mm. And when that's the case, when we are of the opinion and the conviction that the thing that God cares about most is what we believe, then what happens is we do, we see the Bible as this flattened document mm-hmm. where everything is just as true as another thing, or everything is just as correct as another thing. And as you just said, that really cannot match up to what you actually discover in the trajectory of the narrative of the Bible itself. Yeah. But there is there is growth and maturation and and evolved understanding. Uh, you know, I mentioned it a, a few minutes ago, like the, the oldest stories in the Old Testament just assumed that Yahweh was one of many gods. Mm. Uh, and so if we see it as a flattened document where everything is just as true as everything else, that fits in this construct of getting it right and correct beliefs is the most important thing. When we can name that that perhaps <laughs> is not what is most important to the divine that we get mm-hmm. the correct beliefs correct then we can like you said see this growth and this progression and this movement in the bible and we can allow it in our own selves we can be like you know what i don't was i the most correct about this belief when i was 12 when i was 16 <laughs> when i was 24 when i was 32 like we're constantly chasing after the correct answer then we're stuck in having to choose which version of our own selves was the most accurate. And really that's just not the point of the game at all. As I see Mm -hmm. it. I love it. Last question. Um, You talk in the book about uh, navigating relationships in your life with people who don't approve of your, of your shift. So maybe they're very conservative. um, You know, Bible is inerrant. I don't believe the right things. Like I said, you go, you go to hell. And, and I love the things that you said in this part of the book, but a question that I, I was left with 
uh, that's maybe a little bit more personal for me, maybe some of our listeners too, but I often find an added layer of um, difficulty in this topic as someone who used to be a pastor uh, who was trained for ministry and Bible theology, et cetera, because the, the shame that comes with that often feels maybe a little bit heavier, like a little added pressure. Like not only did I betray my church, you know, my family, whatever, but I, I've betrayed my education. I've betrayed my calling. I've betrayed all of the people who have ever sat under my teaching. Like they've been called a wolf, you know, false prophet, false teacher, leading people to hell. You know, there's special judgment awaiting teachers who lead people astray. So like talk to that person who maybe is or was in some form of ministry, maybe they're a pastor, a podcaster like myself, whatever. Uh, they're, they're in the spotlight in some way, big or small, and they're taking heat from, from family, from maybe professors, from their, their past, old church members. Like as a, as a pastor yourself, who's living this life yourself, and you've obviously dealt with this kind of criticism, like what is your advice for those people um, in particular? Yeah. So it's coming up for me as you, as you shared um, and, and what, what I'm about to say can be taken a number of different ways and it's been used and leveraged in different ways. So mm. there's one version of the thing I'm about to say that we can kind of roll our eyes at and be like, Oh brother, like we've, we've seen that card be played and mm. it's, it's kind of dumb, but I think there's still some value to what I'm about to say. And here's, Here's what I mean. If it is at all comforting to the person that you just described, if it's at all comforting to know, to hear, then may you remember that Jesus himself was attempting to speak to what you might call his version of the conservative religious community. Hmm. And he was attempting to give what for them would have been seen as a very progressive, radical expansion of these long held, hard fought doctrinal beliefs and ideas. Mm -hmm. And he was very much unwelcomed, unappreciated, um, seen as a wolf in sheep's clothing, mm -hmm. cast out as a false teacher and yeah eventually the state's the one that executed him for his threat to empire but make no mistake it was the religious leaders who helped to make that happen mm. and where i know that gets tricky is we have a lot of sort of the conservative evangelical world that uses the oh well if you're getting persecuted for the lord that means you're doing it right um and so that gets a little bit Mm -hmm. weird when I'm like, Hey, if you're getting persecuted, <laughs> right. Too. Like, oh, geez, right not thing. that card again. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but that's why I say, if we can get past that initial, like, not that again, if we can get past that uh, and, and, and maybe hold this idea in a different light, I, I think there's some solidarity there hmm. and it's not going to make, it's not going to make everybody feel better necessarily. Um, but it can maybe help you feel a little less crazy. Yeah that um it makes a whole lot of sense if when you start questioning long-held beliefs when you start 
declaring that you no longer think what you used to think when you uh, when you show up at someone's doorstep could be metaphorically or literally when you show up at someone's doorstep offering a a new message a new idea new for you a new way of thinking a more expansive open um, radical way of being in the world and they do not receive it and they do not welcome you in and they reject you what i hear jesus saying and very explicitly because this is what he told his friends go out proclaim the kingdom of god is near if people receive you then say peace upon their house but if they do not receive you and again glenn his disciples were going out to the conservative communities mm. with a progressive and I'm not trying to force our situation into that sure. situation. I'm sure. saying just relax a little bit on that and just receive the story for what it is. Jesus saying, go out and bring this message of this kingdom of this more radical, expansive way of seeing things. And Jesus said, if people receive you great peace upon their house, but if they reject you, Jesus says, then shake the dust from your feet and move on. Mm. And I hear in that, and this is what I say in the book, I hear in that this divine permission slip to accept the rejection of others. Yeah. Mm. And it's not easy. This is not, it's not easy, but it's what I'm, my point is, is it is, it is a uh, acceptable, permissible, and in some ways the, um, the best option that people have. Is, to Jesus, is when you hear Jesus say to you, oh yeah, if they're rejecting you, you have all my permission. In fact, I encourage you to. In fact, I'm instructing you to <laughs> shake the dust off your feet and move on. Yeah. Establish new boundaries with the people who are, 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 who are oppressively not letting you shift and evolve and transform, which is what it is. They're clinging on. They need you to stay where you were because then your, your shifting threatens their own. Right. So they need you to stay where they are. And when you leave, yes, they get concerned for your soul in the afterlife, but they also get concerned for what that means for them. And Jesus is saying like, it's okay and good. And you should put up new boundaries for that. Yeah. That doesn't mean forever. That doesn't mean you're sure. canceling people out of your life, but it yeah. just means, because I think a lot of Christianity teaches that it's our job to be reconcilers and to always try and restore relationship and always try and be bridge builders. And sometimes it's like, uh, no, shake the dust off your feet and move on. Yeah. Uh, because this right here is not good for anybody. Yeah. So I don't know. That's what comes up for me, but it's, it's really hard. So if you're listening to this and that's the situation that you're in, I want you to know, I'm sorry. I want you to know I'm sorry. And I want you to know that, Odds are the people in your life that are causing you the most pain, they're causing you pain because on some level they really do love and care for you and they really are afraid and your shift is causing insecurities in their belief structures, which again, if we're taught that the most important thing about us is what we think about God, then yeah, that's really scary on yeah. deep, deep levels. Mm -hmm. And so it's really hard and it makes sense that you would be um, uh, afraid and 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 feeling lonely and feeling um, angry all of that makes sense mm. just know that at least you're in good company um, <laughs> and if you need to set up some new boundaries it's okay yeah. it's good shake the dust shake the dust mm. yeah what you said earlier about you know jesus standing in 
almost like solidarity with us when we go through those things is, is huge. I mean, the other, the other morning, like a week ago, I was having a, uh, particularly, I don't know, difficult couple days, I guess you could say. And I woke up in the morning, just very heavy in my spirit, you know, just kind of wrestling with all these different things that we're talking about. And, um, I sat down to a cup of coffee before anybody was awake and opened my Bible. And I just, while you're talking, it reminded me, I opened up my journal and, um, I read Mark chapter three, verse 21, and Jesus had just got done doing some teaching and, um, people, crowds are coming around, they're listening to him. And in verse 21, it says, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him because they thought he was out of his mind. Wow. And I'm, I, when I read that, it was like in my spirit, it was like God whispered and said, I know how you feel. And there was just something in wow. me that just, I just collapsed almost into God's arms. Like I just felt, I just felt like God was standing with me in that moment and just saying, I know exactly how you feel. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It's good stuff, man. Yeah. Cause it's, you know, it's a corny thing. Like you said, I mean, you could take it the wrong way and I'd be like, sure. well, you know, God knows how you feel. But I think if you really, if you really think about it in that context, like he really does know how you feel really good stuff. Well, Colby, this has been uh, fantastic. I could pick your mind all day about this book, but like we said, we don't want to give away all the pearls. So uh, listeners go out and, uh, and get the book for sure. Uh, where can people find you online? Thanks to my mom, I have a name that uh, was pretty easy to grab all the early handles. So at Colby Martin, that'll get you on Instagram. That'll get you to me on Twitter. Uh, and you can just probably Google my name and my website comes up and books are there. So pretty easy to find. You have a preference of where people buy your book. I know some authors like one place versus another. Does it matter to you? It, no, it does. No. Thanks for asking. Uh, I think I think you know a lot of people... Amazon is super easy and quick, but then there's that part of you that's like, well, maybe I can support indie bookstores, local bookstores, yep. maybe not put more money into Bezos pocket, but, uh, <laughs> but also it's just really efficient. Um, yeah. Good stuff. Well, Colby, we'll have you back on again soon and uh, have a good night. Thank you, Glenn. Thanks, bud. Does God have a face? Does he have a body or even a name? If he does, does he know that I'm alive? Is God even here? Does she care that I doubt? Does she care? Did he have to have
Take a breath. 